All right, Salt Company, what's good? Hey there. Wow. Welcome back. Welcome back to another Thursday night at Salt Company. Really thankful that you are spending your night with us. There's plenty of things that you could do on a Thursday night, and the fact that you guys are here is just sweet. Makes me smile. So good to see you. My name is Austin. I have the privilege of being up here quite a bit on Thursdays, and I would love to meet you, especially if it's like one of your first times here. I want to say welcome and that we're pumped to spend the night together. Also, I am incredibly excited for Fall Retreat, like incredibly excited. You have no idea. It's going to be a blast. So for those of you coming or the ones that are going to sign up tonight to come, I'm stoked. But as for tonight, we are actually closing out our series through the book of First Peter. This is exciting stuff. Uh, we've really, I've really enjoyed going through the book of First Peter. You guys can turn there if you've got Bibles. We'll be in there again in chapter 5. And we've been calling this series Homesick because it's a letter that was written to people that were exiles. They were far from home. And so this gives us an opportunity to resonate with these exiles thinking, man, why is my, my life unsatisfying? Why do I feel like I'm missing out? Why do I feel like I don't have everything that I need to thrive? And this book gives us some helpful answers on how to live as a believer and have joy even in the midst of a really hard life. And so we're going to be talking about that again tonight, the reality of homesickness. But I thought I'd clarify for you. You're probably wondering, Austin, where do you live? You're probably wondering that. Maybe I've shared it before. I don't know. I live in South Minneapolis. Yeah. And I really like the area. It's by Lake Nokomis. Do you know it? Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I moved in there last year in August. My, me and my wife were able to buy this house. Uh, and before I got married, I lived there with a couple guys, okay? Two of my really good friends, Scott and Jacob. Question for you, do you have a roommate that takes really long showers? Yes, you, of course you do. Uh, I also did. One of my buddies, Jacob, he took like hour-long showers, goodness sakes, and the temperature cranked all the way up. And here's what happened. You see, my house, it's built in 1921, okay? And... There's no ventilation in this bathroom. So we're taking hour-long showers, not we, he, is taking hour-long showers, and it's getting really like, you know, all the condensation is happening. This is what happened. The paint started to peel, you know? It started to look kind of nasty, honestly. And so I did what any good young homeowner did. I called my dad, you know? I looked at the paint. I was like, Dad, I need some, I need a diagnosis on this thing. Can you help me out, please? He's like, first thing you need to do, Austin, is you got to go to Home Depot and you need to get a lead test. Because, of course, old homes might have some lead paint in there. So I got the lead test, tested it, came back positive. There's lead in my walls. Shoot. Okay. Then I'm like, Dad, what do we got to do? And he's like, dude, we get to get hazmat suits. There's a picture. I sent it in. Look at my dad. That's my dad in a hazmat suit. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man. So this happened in December. You can tell because of the Christmas tree. But man, he came over and he helped because we knew that there was going to be a toxin that would be released into my bathroom. And I did not want to breathe in lead paint. So we had to get these hazmat suits so that we could scrape the peeled paint, put a sealant over it, and put a fresh coat over it, and now it is, it's, it, 
It's operating really well. The bathroom is operating really, really well. Thank you. I did a great job. And, uh, <laughs> wow, not expecting that. We took the, ne- the necessary steps, right, because we knew that, hey, if we were to scrape that paint without this hazmat suit on, there's going to be toxins in the air. We'd breathe it in. Bad news. Okay, a necessary step for a toxin being in the air is to put on the hazmat suit. What we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 5 is that there is a toxin in the air. There is something that we are breathing every day. And our necessary action is to put on the figurative hazmat suit so that we can live. What's the toxin that's in the air? Pride. The idea that I am at the center. The idea that it's all about me. It's the air that we breathe, isn't it? Self-promotion. Find truth within yourself. Treat yourself. Self-care. I'm at the center. I am the highest priority. The air that we breathe is pride, and it is lethal. So we need to put on the necessary hazmat suit. What is that? Humility. That's what we're going to see in 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn there with me. We're going to start kind of in the middle of, of verse 5. This is what it says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. Some of you guys in this room are familiar with this conversation of humility and pride, and you've been able to learn through studying the Word of God, or maybe you've heard it preached about that pride is this root of a lot of sin, that it's actually the cause of a bunch of the things that are going wrong in your life. And so you hate pride. You hate the fact that it ruins your life. You hate the fact that it pulls you to do sinful things. You hate that it causes tension with your relationships and your relationship with God. But some of you aren't really that familiar with pride being talked about in this way. You're actually like, you've been breathing the air of pride in our culture. And so it actually seems like just the only logical way to go about life, to self-promote to make sure that you're living your best self, to make sure that you put yourself at the priority because otherwise you're going to drown in a world of people that are doing the same thing. But here's what is true. That everybody, regardless of if we've heard this conversation before or if this is totally new for us, pride is killing us because it's the thing that's separating us from the very source of life, which is God himself. And so all of us in this room are on an even playing field tonight. All of us have this deep-rooted toxin that we're breathing, and we need a solution. But let's get on the same page. What, What practically is pride? How can I see this in my life? Here are some of its forms. Pride is self-satisfaction. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm the coolest person I know. It's the kind of thing that you wouldn't say out loud, but it's the kind of thing that's in your head. Pride is self-reliance. I can do this on my own. I don't need people around me. I don't need help. Pride considers itself above instruction. I've heard that before. 
pride loves being recognized as great. Man, I wish they would just see this about me. Maybe that would change their mind. Pride is anxious about the future. I need to know what will happen next. I want you guys to see tonight that pride is a sin that has a thousand different shapes. Each of us will feel its effect differently, but each of us have it. It's tricky because it keeps morphing as we walk. It keeps changing shapes, like sneaking into our life and affecting each part of our life, affecting thoughts, behaviors, affecting the way we view other people, affecting the way that we view God and the way that we view ourselves. So a simple question that I want you to just be processing through this night is, hey, what form is pride taking in my life right now? It's going to be different for each of us, but I promise you that it's there. And you've got to be able to be aware of how it's affecting your life, how, what form it's taking, so that you can see the right solution ahead. And just so that we're all on the same page about it, let's hear how God feels about pride once again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the promotion of self, having you at the center, it's anti-God. He opposes it, but he gives grace to the humble. So what is humility? First off, I want you to see that it's a choice. Look at, look at verse, I think it was five again. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. I don't know about you guys, but I put all of my clothes on myself this morning. Did you? <laughs> Took my shirt out of the drawer, put it on, my pants, you know, put them on. I didn't do it in that order. I actually do pants first, shirt after. But I put all my clothes on by myself, and it says, clothe yourselves in humility. So what can we know about humility? It's a choice. Clothing is not natural. You have to... Choose to put it on. Humility is not natural. You need to choose to put it on. How do you put on humility? What does it look like practically? What if pride is self-satisfaction, saying I'm the coolest person I know? Well, then humility is applauding the successes of others. Humility is saying, I actually want to celebrate you in the ways that I think you are cooler than me. Self-reliance, if that's pride, then humility is actually becoming aware of your own weaknesses and being okay with that, but recognizing that it actually is a good thing, that you can welcome other people to lift you up. If pride puts you above instruction, then humility is teachability, saying, I want to actually keep learning. I may have heard that same thing before, but there's probably a new angle with which I can see it. If pride craves recognition, then humility gives credit where it's due. Could be to another person. Could be to your creator. It could be to yourself. If pride has you anxious for the future, then humility simply trusts 
the mighty hand of God. And we're going to get that into that in a second. Guys, when you look at the difference between pride and humility, can't you see why we often talk about pride raising oneself up, lifting oneself up, and humility as lowering yourself? You see the difference of how, man, a person who is proud often will try to ascend the mountain and start looking down on other people, thinking that they are at the top. And the humble person lowers themselves. Recognizing people around them and looking up to the one who is actually worthy of praise. Here's the interesting thing about humility that we can learn in this text is that it welcomes the grace of God. God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. What is grace? It's undeserved favor. So the humble person isn't more deserving of God's love. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The humble person is just able to admit that. And so then God extends love and grace. You're simply positioning yourself to receive what God is offering you instead of scoffing at it from the mountaintops. I read this cool thing from Charles Spurgeon. He's an old preacher, and he just has some sweet, colorful language. And he talks about, in the valleys, the rivers of peace are flowing. The mountaintops are treacherous with storms, but low in the valleys do creatures find their shelter. So you will find peace by being low. Isn't that cool imagery? If you lift yourself up, you will expose yourself to the elements. You'll begin to look down on people and start thinking how silly of them to remain down there, but sooner than later, you'll lose your footing and you'll wind up at the base of the mountain anywhere, anyway. Lower yourself. Walk in the calm of the valleys and you'll find shelter under the strong hand of God. There's peace in being low. It's the life that Jesus lived, the perfect life, humble. But here's the thing. Pride is such a toxin that we breathe so often, so dangerous, so lethal, that it is not only killing us now, Wrecking our lives now, but the toxin is so deep that it's actually impacting the future too. It's killing our future, or at least our view of it. It's coming at you in the form of anxiety. So I want to look at what the text instructs us to do to put off anxiety. Look at verse 6 and 7 with me. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God so that you so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you okay did you see the connection there he said humble yourselves and then if you skip a couple words it's like clauses humble yourselves casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you it's the same thing as saying like hey drive carefully Abiding by all of the traffic laws. Eat healthy, avoiding as many uh, nerds gummy clusters as you can. Tough. I, I heard they had red dye in them. Not good for you. Kind of tough. 
I still like them. One of the ways that you humble yourself is by casting your anxieties onto God. How can you do it? Why can you do it? Because he's got a mighty hand and he cares for you. When someone is humble, they're able to actually trust the ultimate creator, that the God of the universe is above it all, that he is a faithful creator. And so the inverse also must be true that when you hold on to your anxiety, hang on to undue worry, hang on to things that you can't control, when you hang on to those, it's a form of pride. That holding on to anxiety and believing, hey, I'm ultimately in control of what's going to happen and I'm worried about how that's going to happen. It's not giving credit to where credit is due and that God is actually the orchestrator of all things. So we see that casting anxiety onto God is humility and holding on to anxiety is pride. You guys are in college. Lots of things to be anxious about, I know, but I'm wondering, are you holding on to it? Lots of things to occupy your mind. Even things as you're sitting here right now. Lots of things in the future that you think you have total control of. So you're anxious about it. Wondering what the outcome is going to be. Wondering how it's going to impact the next step and the next step. Are you holding on to that? Trying to fix it yourself? Are you trying to perfect a certain part of your life so that maybe then it'll make the future easier? Are you trying to plan a little bit farther out? Are you trying to create walls around you socially so that you're protected from people in the future? Are you trying to manipulate circumstances, manipulate friendships so that you get what you want? Are you holding on to anxiety or are you casting it upon the broad shoulders of a good God who cares about you? There's really two options here. But friends, holding on to anxiety is not an innocent thing to do. It's a prideful thing to do. It's an arrogant thing to do because it's ultimately saying, I'm in control. And so if I don't get this right, everything's going to fall apart. It's making God out to be weak and absent and untrustworthy. Is God weak? Not according to 1 Peter 5. It says he has a mighty hand. Is God absent? Not according to 1 Peter 5 because it says he cares for you even in the little things. Is God untrustworthy? Not according to the previous chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, because it says he is a faithful creator. He's not going to dip out on you. He's faithful. So would you humble yourself, put yourself low under the care of the mighty hand of God by casting your anxieties onto him? Don't hold on to them. That's not worth it. How are you going to be able to receive the life that God has for you if you're too distracted with all the things that you need to do? 
when you throw off your own weight, and when you finally be able to be freed from the weight of your own troubles, then you will be able to receive the life that God has for you, a carefree life, not a careless life, but a carefree life, trusting fully in him. But you've got to cast your own anxieties on him first. Imagine with me that you're moving into a new apartment. Maybe, because it's this time of year, maybe your room at the Identity just opened up in Dinkytown, right? About time. Goodness sakes. Crazy. Okay, but you're moving into the Identity. And so some guys come over to your apartment that you're currently staying at to help move some stuff. But one guy comes over, and he's got, like, the hiking backpack. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was just up north at Duluth taking a nice little trip. But he came, and he's going to help you move. When you walk in the door, he's got his big hiking backpack on. He helps you, you know, pick up the couch on one side. You're walking through, but he gets, keeps getting stuck in the door. You're like, dude, you should take off the backpack. He's like, nah, man. And then uh, he's, you know, helps you pick up one another thing. He's starting to get really tired, so he's starting to complain. He's starting to say, man, this is just getting really fatiguing, really tired. Like, nobody else is tired, dude. You should just take off the backpack. He's like, nah, man, I'm good. If he would just lay down his own burden, then he would finally be able to walk through the doors that are open for him. If he would lay down his backpack, he would finally be able to actually see the need of the friend and actually serve him well instead of being so occupied about how tired he is by carrying his own backpack. Are you walking around carrying a hiking backpack and God is simply saying, hey, let me take that for you. I can handle it. His shoulders are big enough for your anxieties. Peace does not come from the absence of problems. It comes from the presence of God. Guys, we are going to live for I don't know how many more years there are going to be tough things to carry. But the solution is not to totally avoid all of those things. The, the solution is to cast them onto the broad shoulders of God. He cares for you. He can handle them. And he can give you the carefree life, the freedom that you need in order to take one step, one step in the right direction. I just love when Jesus says this. He says, are any of you tired? Are any of you burnt out? Come to me. I'll give you rest for your souls. Take upon, take upon me. That's not what he says. Take my yoke upon you. For my burden is light. Man. You can trust the care of God. Now, the solution is not just to, like, totally chill out, right? Not to be careless, not to just be so absent-minded that you just don't care about anything. Everything is going to work out. Everything is going to be totally fine. It's not to just become super chill, but it's about to actively put faith, actively agree with God that he is ultimately the one taking care of of you. Freedom from the fear of your future comes from the presence of God. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing 
is that he's here tonight. God's here tonight. I believe that you can actually like find true peace even just where you're sitting right now because once again, guys, this is not about what you can do for him, but what he can do for you to lift off that burden tonight. As you're sitting in your chair tonight, would you cast your burdens, cast your anxieties onto God? But Austin, you don't get it, dude. No way you understand all the stressors in my life. No way you understand the breakup that I just went through. No way you understand the classes that I'm taking right now. No way you understand the schedule that's so packed on top of each other. No way you understand what's going on with my family right now. How could I possibly give that all to God? How could I possibly have peace right now? You don't get it. You're right. But God knows And he has a sweet story, a sweet piece of scripture recorded in the biography of Jesus' life. Can I tell it to you tonight? It's about Jesus when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Now, this was at an interesting point in his life. He was just moments away from being taken. He knew what was ahead of him. It was always the plan that Jesus would be sent in order to die. Jesus knew this. He was fully God and fully man. So he was knowledgeable enough to know what was ahead of him. And so he found himself in a garden at the foot of a mountain with his friends. And he prayed. It was at this point that he was praying for a way out. He was fully God. He knew what was, help, what was coming his way, but he was fully man. So what you need to know about Jesus seeing what was ahead of him, seeing that the thing ahead of him was death, just as you and I fear that, Jesus can resonate with wanting something else to happen. It says that he was sorrowful even unto death. He was so full of sorrow that this would be what he would have to walk through. It says that he was so overcome with emotion that he was sweating like blood. Jesus gets it. He knows the stress of dark moments. He saw ahead of him a cross that he would be hung on. He saw ahead of him people that would be slandering his name, spitting on him. He saw ahead of him what would need to happen for the atonement of our sins. He would see that he would be cast off from God, that his heavenly father would turn his face from him. And he was scared. He wasn't absent-minded about the moment. He knew what was coming. And he was scared. But what did he do? He talked to God about it. Because peace doesn't come from the absence of pain or problems. It comes from the presence of God. And so it allowed him to say these crazy words. After he said, Father, if there's another way, take this away from me. But then he ends with this sentence. It's crazy. He says, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus trusted in the mighty hand of God that even through the darkest moment, he could believe that God had his best interest in mind. And so Jesus, being fully convinced of this, just took one step forward. He took one step and then another one towards death. He carried a Roman cross up a hill. He would have that cross be planted in the ground and then he would be staked up onto that cross. It would be on this that he would cry out to God, that he would breathe his last, and that he would die. Jesus knows what it's like to stand in the face of death. Jesus knows what it's like to have brutally dark moments. Jesus knows what it's like to die and to have even his father turn his face from him. And so we see a moment where it looks like darkness won. We see a moment where the devil thought that he won. He thought. Because the mighty hand of God had a different plan. The mighty hand of God was the very one that rose Jesus from the grave three days later. Jesus did not stay dead, even in his darkest moments. It was the mighty hand of God that drew him out and brought him to resurrection life. The mighty hand of God brought Jesus from death to life. That's insane. But we now see through the story of Jesus that God will always come through for you. If you are in Christ, this is what's true about you. That even in your darkest moments, there will always be resurrection on the other side. There will always be, always be life from death. Because Jesus came out of the grave. It's evidence that darkness does not win. The mighty hand of God always wins. This is the crazy reality of the gospel that humanity failed to put on humility. We failed to have this proper understanding of how we measure up to God. We put on pride instead. And so God needed to put on humility. That's what Jesus did. He put on humility. So much humility that he would even die even death on a Roman cross. And then, because of that, at the right time, after a little while, Jesus was clothed with glory. He was first clothed with humility, and then he was clothed with glory. Jesus went the lowest, and so he will receive the highest praise. This is why Philippians says that he has the name that is above every name. And at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's the greatest. He's Lord. He deserves it because he did what we couldn't do. 
and the mighty hand of God clothed him with glory. Guys, the same is true of you if you are in Christ. That if you are clothed with humility now and lower yourself, then after a little while, you will be clothed with glory. Read in verse 10 with me, 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, after you have put on humility for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If you clothe yourself with humility now, he will clothe you with glory later. This is your future if you are in Christ. It's totally settled. Jesus has accomplished the great work of ultimately putting on humility for you so that you can follow in his footsteps and receive grace from God. And you can also receive eternal peace about whatever happens next. Like whatever happens now, whatever happens tomorrow, my hope is that I know the God who holds tomorrow in his hands. My hope is not that this life would be it, but I know that I've got a future home, a future home of glory where I will be with Christ, enjoying him forever. And so when the darkness looks like it's winning now, all that that is, is evidence that God's not finished quite yet. So if there is brokenness that is yet to be healed, God is not finished yet. If there's sin that's still a fight in your soul, God's not finished yet. If there's bitterness and division anywhere, God's not finished yet. He's going to restore all things. All will be well, and that will be our home in glory. Nothing is too far gone for the mighty hand of God. The resurrection of Christ is evidence of our great caretaker that even in the darkest moments, God's going to come through. This is the hope that's available to you right now in your chair that even when it seems like all is lost, you're under the care of God and there's really only one thing that's standing in between you and that peace and that hope and it's your pride. It's your belief that, no, I still need to figure it out. No, I still need to do something. No, I need to know how it's all going to shake out tomorrow. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Will you be humble enough to be low and receive the good, free gift of grace? Here's the cool thing. It's all kind of cool, honestly. (laughs) The toxin of pride that we keep breathing in, the way that it's lethal, man, it doesn't stand a chance in the presence of Jesus. Where Jesus goes, humility follows. So the application of this really is get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Love what he loves. Hate what he hates. Spend time with him. Worship him through song. Get to know him through the Bible. 
Trust what he says and be low like him. If you clothe yourself with humility now, he will clothe you with glory later. So in review, I just want to look back at what we've talked about. We want to put on humility. It's just like clothes. It's not natural, so we've got to choose to put it on, right? We can put off anxiety. We can trust the care of God as we throw our anxieties on him. He can bear them. And then we can actually access a life of joy that he's given, for, given to us. And lastly, we can put on glory. That the lowest among us will receive the highest praise. And that Jesus went the lowest. So he deserves the highest praise and he invites us to a life like his. I just want to close by reading verses 10 and 11 for you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. This is why we've titled the series Homesick, because Jesus is calling us home. One day he'll call us home to his eternal glory. And that's his dominion, eternal glory. We're excited for that day. But we also get to join him in a life of humility now. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for your mighty hand that we can trust. Your strong shoulders that can bear our anxieties, that can bear our burdens. Lord, thanks for the sweet reality of your gospel that when we couldn't put on humility quite right, when we failed to recognize where we stand next to you, flat on our faces. You sent Jesus to do what we could never do. Thank you for the freedom that's offered through Christ that when we lower ourselves, that after a while you're, you'll exalt us, you'll bring us back home to the home of glory, that all will be set right. God, we're excited for that day, and I just pray that you'd give us a sweet glimpse of that as we worship you now, that as we sing these songs, that you would give us a glimpse of your glory, that we would be able to see you rightly, that we would be able to see your mighty hand and how it's orchestrated through the past and how it will, how it will work in the future for our good and for your praise. We love you, God, and we pray this all in your name. Amen.